Blog Talk Radio. The Keys is proud to announce the Communicators, airing Saturdays at 7 p.m. with your host, Brother Leroy, from the heart of Harlem, USA. Don't forget, every Saturday, 7 p.m., The Communicators, with your host, Brother Leroy, on the Keys Network. Yeah. 
blogtalkradio.com forward slash the keys 107. The program is the communicators. I'm your host, Brother Leroy. Thankful to the Most High for blessing us to be with you, you to be with us. Thankful to the Most High for blessing us with another day on this good earth to do some good deeds for ourselves, our family, for our community, and for humanity, making the environment in which we live a much better place. We're doing a series of programs starting last week. A series of programs is called Gifted and Talented for All. It's based on an article that appeared in the New York Daily News a few weeks ago talking about who gets gifted and talented programs in New York City and who doesn't. So for the black folks in the audience, guess who doesn't get talented and gifted programs in their communities. As a result, there's the hustle and bustle, there's the scheming and the backbiting and call it whatever you call it, the anxiety and the grief as it relates to parents trying to get their, their babies, their children into a talented and a gifted program outside of their neighborhood, very comfortably in the neighborhood of others, and based on an elite system, me personally, I feel, based on the knowledge that I've gained in life, that every human being has talents and gifts. And to segment them off into a group that has uh, passed the test and this, that, and the other, and give them the opportunity for talent and then gifted is an elitism. It brings about a separation that does not have to be. 
if there are programs that are talented and gifted for all, then you allow the God-given talents and gifts to manifest. So last week we interviewed Brother Shango Blake of New York City who took a failing school in Queens and made it one of the top schools in New York City with a talent and gifted program curriculum for all. He didn't have that title, but what he did, he opened up the game to everybody. So successful was he that the system got him out. So Shango Blake is no longer a principal in the New York City public school system. Part two of the series is tonight. We move to Washington, D.C., to a charter school based at Howard University. And we borrow the language of Brother Minister Farrakhan, who many of you just heard in a presentation where he said, we must stop calling our children kids. Kids are baby goats and they have a particular nature. And based on his brief comment regarding that, it is quite probable that school administrators who look at children as children develop different programs and attitudes towards them. School administrators who look at children as kids, it's more playful. And therefore, anything can go, you know, some of the kids, uh, they, you know, they do well, but most of the kids, uh, you know, we, 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 blah, 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 you know the dialogue. So it is my belief that at this charter school in Washington, D.C., the science charter school based at Howard University, has a philosophy, based on my interviews with this brother, has a philosophy of looking at those human beings who are the various ages of elementary, junior high school, and high school. They look at them as children to be developed. Here to tell us the story of the success of this particular school is Brother Yoanse Gregory. God bless you, my brother. Are you with us? God bless you, Brother Leroy. So, so wonderful to be back with you this evening. How are you? I'm, I'm excellent. I'm sorry for that long introduction, but that's the background to what we're going to talk about. We've talked before, interviewed before, and you have some just some great stories that make me feel good as a human being. Of of uh, in answer to the questions that I put to you in in several interviews, tell us about first of all those children who've been rejects, special eds push-outs from other schools that you folks have taken into the science charter school and how they have fared in your curriculum. We'll start there. So, yeah, always a pleasure to uh, be able to talk about the work that we're doing with our young people uh, because it truly is my life's passion and my life's work. Um, real succinctly, uh, just to kind of sum up our program, they mentioned we're the uh, Howard University Middle School of Mathematics and Science. We're a full STEM program, and for those who aren't familiar with that acronym, STEM is, stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. And the reason why STEM is important, um, regardless of what our life's work and passion may be, is, is that we're at a precipice right now, and I tell people we're at a point as we were over a century ago when electricity was discovered and became mainstream. With the, introduce, with the introduction of not just technology, because we use that word too generally, but of digital technology and the advent of the Internet, everything that we do 
moving forward, particularly our young people, the world they live in, will be touched by one of the STEM disciplines. I don't care whether it's media, if it's arts and entertainment, athletics, um, and that's the draw that we talk about with our young people because at the end of the day, education in its purest form to be relevant to make sense enriches people's world, opens them up from where they're coming to, and prepares them for where they're moving. So whether that's from a standpoint of the work they will do in their life, whether that be in a collective or for themselves, and whether that be for the general body of knowledge that they will need to be an edified person as they move forward and, and interact in their community and their benefit of their community. Unfortunately, what we have in large part where our children are is nothing even close to education. What we have is a warehousing of our young people to be, shep- to be shepherded through a system that does not have their best interest in mind, does not have their parents' best interest in mind, and certainly does not have the community and the liberation of the people in mind. So when we take a step back, before we do any kind of hocus-pocus, because I tell people a lot, they, they come into our school and they see our results, and, and just when we speak about the results, when it comes to testing, even though I'm not a fan of it, as a public charter school, we have to take it. We've always been in the top 1% of, uh, of, of school performance in the eight years that we've been in existence. Um, when it comes to the schools that our kids get accepted to at the high school level, across the board we are the number one feeder to all the four top uh, magnet high schools in the Washington, D.C. area, as well as numerous independent schools. And, in fact, we just found out this year that more of our students were accepted in the Sidwell Friends, that's the school where the Obama children go, than any other middle school uh, uh, where they take children from. So, you want to say repeat that? Repeat what you just found out this year. Yeah, I was saying this year, our eighth grade class, more of our eighth graders were accepted in the Sidwell and Friends private independent school, the school where both of the Obama children go, than any other middle school that feeds in the Sidwell and Friends. And so I love it, that. I love it. That's like, guess who come to dinner? (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we do that with a backdrop of being completely non-selective and being completely representative of our community. So D.C. is divided up into eight wards. Unlike any other charter school, our kids come from every single one of those eight wards. Uh, 100% of our children are students of color, about 95% uh, black, 5% Latino. Uh, over 70% of our kids come from households that have an income that is below the federal, federal poverty line. And in addition to that, even more significant is, is that two-thirds of our students come to us in the sixth grade performing below grade level with 50% of all of our incoming students performing woefully below grade level. And I'm talking about an excess of three years or more. We have students that come to us in the sixth grade that are functionally illiterate. And so mm-hmm. in essence, we are inheriting those children who have who have literally been done a a criminal disservice by the systems I won't even call them systems of education because they're not have been done a disservice by these uh, government enterprises and they've arrived on our door. So with that, so many folks God say, what's your magic? What's your secret? What's the mojo? And there is no real secret science or secret sauce. It goes back to what I started the conversation with, which what real education is. And if we're focused on real education, then the results are just a, a byproduct of that. If we are going to any community
community of need, any community of wealth, and look at the school systems, both public and private in those communities, so I was saying we will see enterprises that adapt to the environment in which they're living in. So take, for example, along the line of STEM education, um, when you go into our communities, You'll go into classrooms that look the same, I'm sure, from when you were there. You'll see some kids learning from textbooks that may be the same from when you were in school. You will see the tools that they are using to be the exact same. So we're talking about rows of the hard wooden desk, individual. Each student has their own desk in a row. And you'll see walls that are lined with maybe chalkboards. And you'll see billboards and signs from, from printed materials from years ago. However, the world in which our kids are moving into today is one that's interdisciplinary, is one in which they will go on to a job or whether they create that environment for their own, where they'll be expected to work together in teams with folks that bring a whole variety and abundance of talents to the table. And so when you go into those classrooms and those wealthy communities, whether they be private schools or public schools, you will see kids learning in what we consider to be very non-traditional ways because they are being prepared for the future that awaits them. And so, again, when we, when, when, when we look at structuring the environment for our children, we don't go out and just do a carbon copy of what they're doing in their community, but what we do, we take those pieces that we know are particularly relevant to all of our children's future and then specifically relevant to who our children are so that, Yes, we come, so this whole kind of team-based work, that comes from the African tradition. We've always been a, co- a community. Mm-hmm. And, and so that idea, mm-hmm. when you step into a classroom at our school, our nickname, our, our nickname is MS Squared, the Middle School of Mathematics and Science. When you step into a classroom at MS Squared, you'll see students sitting around round tables together with John Coltrane playing in the background while they're working together, and you wouldn't even know that that's not a, a, a project assignment that they're working on. That's a task they're working on because our teachers have, have the belief that if one of you gets an F, all of you get an F. And if everybody but one person doesn't get an F, nobody got an A. And, that's, and, and that is the very platform that they will step into a Google at today. That's a very platform they'll step into if they were to go into a Facebook or if they were to go off into Silicon Valley and be their own tech entrepreneur. And so for us, we know that we must make education truly what it is meant to be in a spirit sense, and that is relevant. And so when we talk about it, and it, and it, and it really hits the nail on the head of what you're talking about, it's gifted and talented, because really when you look at it from a policy standpoint and the legislative and history behind it, it becomes even more not only a shame but a crime because it's semantics that are used to further hold our children down while, on the other hand, give extra benefit and privilege to folks that are outside of our community. So we know overwhelmingly in our Mm. community disproportionately a large number of young black males, our students in general, but particularly young black males, are deemed as being special education before they even make it out of kindergarten. Before they even make it out of kindergarten, they are labeled, um, and, and this label is used to track them and hold them back. Now, meanwhile, on other communities, there are labels that are given too because what they understand is that those labels come with federal and local dollars that can provide interventions that can be valuable. So over in um, uh, 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 out on Long Island or here in D.C. and Montgomery County or 
uh, in Virginia and Rico County. Yeah, they use those labels as well. But those labels are used to get extra dollars, extra public dollars, to put more teachers in the classroom, to provide more interactive activity. What are, we, what are those labels used for in our community? And I lie to you not. Literally, we have schools. This is an example that came out uh, earlier this week to put our kids in dungeons and basements where they spend their entire day interacting with nobody else, even having their meals in this one very isolated area in the school. And so when we realize that there are folks that are using these labels to enrich their communities, enrich their children, and then we are allowing ourselves to be victims of these labels in the worst way, and another one of these labels, as you talked about before, is gifted and talented. And as you so poignantly said, Every, not only every child, every individual has a brilliance, has a gift, has a light that is theirs to share with the world. And what you find when you do things in a project learning environment, when you do things in a communal environment, everybody has something to share, and thus it allows for those opportunities to find out what intelligence is and what intelligence looks like for every person. But now, again, let's go back to our side. When you look at the schools in our community, greatness is measured in two areas. Those areas are reading and math. Why are those the only two areas? Because those are the only two areas that is acquired by the No Child Left Behind legislation schools are required to test in. And mm -hmm. so what do we tout? We tout high test scores. We tout high test scores in two very limited areas. Now, mind you, reading and math are the fundamentals and the building blocks across the board in discipline. However, is that if as a ninth grader and as a tenth grader, the only thing we're using to measure their brilliance, to measure their intelligence, is how well they read or how well they perform math, we are absolutely at a deficit. And, and the thing that I say all along is, is that the schools in our community are determined, those are excellence and greatness is determined by these standardized tests. Tests that the best and most selective schools in the world do not themselves take. So the Sidwell Friends, where the Obama children are, the Georgetown Day Schools, all of these, the Phillips Academy Exeters, the Andovers, all of these lofty schools, the Murray School, all of these schools that cost an excess in middle school over $40,000 a year. They don't take these tests. That is our litmus test for excellence. What are we doing wrong? And we've got the nerve to wonder why we've got the mess that we have in our community. And so when we recreate education on the foundation of what education truly is and we start to put it back piece by piece by piece by piece, what you find, and this is the work that we did at our school, and, my, and mind you, we're certainly um, not the only ones, the, the, the brother that you mentioned in Queens who was doing outstanding work. There are numerous independent African-centered schools here at D.C. and across the country that we take many of these practices from that idea of building the whole child. So what we've been able to do is create a program that is responsive to what the requirements of the system are, because that's another thing, and I, and I warn people against this, is that, if, if, and I'm sure just as the brother Chago found out in Queens, when you are doing something dynamic for African people, you are not rewarded, you are a target. You are a target with the biggest bullseye on your back. And so the, the first thing they're going to do is not look to congratulate you uh, for the wonderful work and transitionary work you've done. They're going to start to look at you like a fi with a fine-tooth comb, almost like the IRS coming in to do an audit. That red flag goes up. And so 
that's where we started with our foundation, to make sure that when they did come in the door, they would find nothing they could deceive them. But in addition to that foundation, we then enrich our day to provide our students with the outlets that they need to express who they are as individuals, primarily in the STEM disciplines as being a math and science school. So what does that look like? That looks like extra periods in the day that aren't graded, that aren't structured in your traditional class environment, that allow our kids to work in small groups to enrich those areas in which they're struggling in. And by doing that, it still allows them to experience the full curriculum like all of their other students. They are not segregated to the side and said, oh, because you come to us reading below grade level, all we're going to give you is reading for half the day, and the other half of the day, all we're going to give you is math, and we're going to take music away, we're going to take science away, we're going to take social studies away, we're going to take the written word away. And then what we're also able to do is create what we call our STEM enrichment component, which are practical applications of our math, science, technologies, and uh, engineering, which engage our kids in the real world with either professors or graduate students or actual real-world practitioners. So what does that look like right now? Well, currently, we are working with a black-owned mobile technology in Washington, D.C., that is teaching our kids, literally middle school kids, first the platform for mobile technology, so a programming language that you'll only learn at earliest in AP computer science in your senior year in high school, but more often than you in college, our kids are learning JavaScript by not just some teacher who kind of learned, but by a black man who built his own mobile tech com- technology company from the bottom. <laughs> Go ahead. And what are they learning that platform for? They're learning that platform to then enter into project-based competitions where they are actually building their own mobile application that they will then go out and get funding for to market and sell in the open market, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, this is true education. This is truly, when you walk in the door of the Illinois Math Science Academy, the most elite in the, uh, uh, public-sponsored school in, in, the, in the state of Illinois, this is the type of learning that you see. This is, this, just to give you an example of that school, that's where the companies Yelp and YouTube, the founders of that came out of there. It's about engaging our kids in the real-life work that they will be doing bringing all those disciplines into place. And, and, and when we started the project, we let our kids know that while we're focusing on mobile technology and computer science and programming, it's more than that. It's marketing because when you create this project, you're going to have to get out there and you're going to have to introduce it to the world. It's also financing because we're also going to have to raise the capital for it, and then you're going to have to manage the, the, the cash flow, the inflows and outflows of cash. It's uh, um of course the program can both. It's management. It's having a project manager that can take an idea and work with that entire team and take it from a concept all the way to completion. So we're bringing in an opportunity for everybody to speak up. So in those areas where we know that girls are typically um, targeted when it comes to engineering, well, they hear fashion and design and marketing and branding, and that turns them on. And before they know it, they're doing their own programming and coding in computer science. Lee, well, I tell you, this is the way we are going to transition our community. Mm-hmm. And it's not about gifted and talented over here and segregated. It's about what are we doing to mm-hmm. make sure that everyone in our community has is contributing their all to it. Because I promise you this, that child who's being thrown to the side and being looked over and deemed as special needs and not getting the access to those extra enrichment components that that child in uh, the special in the, in the gifted and talented quote unquote program is getting, 
they have something very valuable to contribute and add to the table. And for us, we are at a disadvantage because we're coming from a community that is under-resourced and underprivileged. Thus, we need every single one of those skill sets fully engaged, working their hardest in the in the liberation of African people. Mm, mm, mm. We need every one of those skill sets. And based on conditions, we need every one of the individuals who are in our community to realize to or to to realize I'm dealing with adults and children. I'm just adding on. I'm not taking away anything. I'm just extrapolating from what you said. We need the resources and we need the human resources to realize that they have talents and gifts and that those talents and gifts are right within their families and take a whole different look on who our children are, right within our own families, who our wives and husbands are. Each one of us has this value, and if we stop, not if, and as we stop devaluing ourselves based on the conditioning that we've got from outside of ourselves, then we can begin to grow. I want you to go back to that Illinois school example, you you yeah. know, with people from, you know, the YouTube and the Google people came out. Just just go over that slowly, that the school in existence, what do they do there? Certainly. So the EMSA, Illinois um, Math and Science Academy, is a publicly funded boarding school. And there are, I believe, about ten states across the country that have and it's kind of really taking from the Chinese or Indian model that says who are the top performing kids in this state and we're going to put them in this very elite incubator environment. So I think it's uh, the top 5 or 10% performing students in the state of Illinois go there. Their day literally starts at 8 o'clock a.m. and classes end at, I believe, 10 p.m. However, the students, the, the teachers literally are having to push the students out the door, and they're up to about 1 o'clock in the morning and working on all kind of incubator projects and, again, in a very hands-on, what we would, what the average person would say is a non-traditional environment. And what I tell folks is to say that this is what, when it comes to those, with, those in positions of power and those with means, when it comes to educating their own, this is what they're doing. And I tell folks quite often, and, and I see this when I visit the most uh, elite independent schools or boarding schools, I said, why is it that in this society that we think that kids who are deemed as gifted and talented or that come from extreme wealth are the only ones that are going to benefit by being in a classroom of small size? And mm. we seem to think that we can go into a city like Detroit and high schools that are already run down and expect real education to go on in a 10th grade class that's already unruly with 60 kids and one teacher. Mm. But over here, those who have the most needs and access to the most advantage and opportunity and who are most likely to be able to hire private tutors and this and all that will be in classrooms of no more than eight kids. Or what is it about our society that believes, really leads us to believe that only uh, – uh, rich white kids can benefit from being on beautiful campuses with facilities that work not only the second or third time, but the first time that you're mm -hmm. trying with equipment and teaching tools that are relevant to the world that they live in. Our children in our communities literally are being taught in an analog way while they're living in a digital world. And mm -hmm. we are 
20 steps behind where they need to be. And so, again, it's that kind of thinking that is put into place at an IMSA that says whatever it is that we need, because we deem these to be our best and our brightest, we're going to educate them to the highest levels that we know education will look like. And so you may have an entire class that goes an entire semester without anything resembling a grade. Because it's not about a grade, it's about what is the gradation of life you're preparing this child for. It's not mm. about a grade in a grade book. That means nothing. That's meaningless. And so, again, for us, when we really take a step back and think about one of the tools we need, again, it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. There's nothing outstanding or overwhelming that we put into place that no other school could put in place. We have some outstanding people there getting it done. But at the end of the day, Brother Leroy, this is, this is the foundation of what it begins with. It begins so, with the fact that we I'm as sorry, a community. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sure. Can you no, hear me? I'm sorry, Beyonce. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I said the, the, the bottom line is, and this will be our situation into perpetuity, as long as we as a community, and I say we and I include myself in there, every single one of us in our community, as long as we continue to put the most precious resource that we have, mm-hmm. our children, and the preparation in their future in the hands of somebody who does not have their best interest in mind. Okay? Mm-hmm. Overwhelmingly, whether it's public schools or the charter schools, we have folks that are from outside of our community that are not of us, from us, a part of us that are not only directing our education but defining what that education should look like. And what does that begin with? It begins with a belief that is defined by what society tells us about black folks. They're thugs, they're ignorant, they're they're savages. And so you've got folks that are charged with educating our kids that Mm. from day one have been trained to believe that our kids can't achieve. And our kids cannot achieve. So what do you think that system is going to produce? How on earth are they going to find any talent in a group of people that they Mm -hmm. think the highest achievement in life is to get them to graduate from high school? How disrespectful and insulting is that? Tell me one. So we've all heard about the school in Chicago. Every 100% graduation rate, right? 100% of their black kids go on to college. Name me one white school in a rich white part of this country that we've ever celebrated for sending their kids to college. Mm. It's not an accomplishment. It's an it's a given. We mm. don't celebrate our fact that our 16-year-old can get dressed by themselves. It's an expectation. Mm-hmm. So why mm-hmm. am I going to do a backflip because my 18-year-old is stepped is stepped up to the next logical logical progression in their educational path? Why? Because I don't believe that he can do that. I'm surprised when she does that. So it's a national story. It's national news. My job is now done. His job hasn't even begun. Who do we know that is running the world today with just a bachelor's degree as if that's the beginning and end of it? Who do we know that has gone on to just, never mind college, just any old college, and that's the end of their success story? But again, because we have such lowered expectations for our children in our community. We think we finished when we've had them finish high school, no matter what the quality of education was at that high school, no matter the fact that all they've done is have courses in reading and math and have not had any greater enrichment classes beyond that. Mm. We think that's success. And, the, and, and what that means 
is that at the end of the day, Brother Leroy, we truly have done more to to resegregate the education in this country than we were looking at back before Brown versus the School Board of Education because we've been in a system where now we define as success for our children something that looks very different than what true education is. We've got folks that come out of the Princetons and the Harvards and the Stanfords and the Browns from communities very different from ours that have studied us in a lab almost like a science experiment in a peach tree dish and said, aha, I've got the solution, and they call it urban education reform. And that's where we see the KIPs come out of, and that's where we see the Edisons come out of, and that's where we see all these reforms and all these issues come out. And so, again, I'm just a very, uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a very lay person. I'm, a, I'm a just a common sense man, and I ask one question. If these reforms are so outstanding, if these schools are so outstanding, why are you only putting them in our community? Why don't these schools exist in your community? Why aren't you using these incredible innovations to educate rich white children if these are so ideal and if these are so wonderful? And even then, it makes me ask another question. In fact, if these schools are so great, and if, in fact, you are working at these schools and all your friends and neighbors and cousins and uncles are working in these schools, then why aren't any of your children in these schools? Why aren't your neighbor's children in these schools? Why aren't your nieces and nephews in these schools? Because they know that that's not true education. They just think it's the best that we can do. Whoa. Ladies and gentlemen, you have the opportunity to call in and ask Brother Yuanse Gregory questions regarding school, the school, the, T-H-E, the school of note in Washington, D.C., based on the campus of Howard University. The telephone number is 213-943-3618, There are those of you who are listening by Internet, and that's the number you'll have to call in order to get on the line to ask our brother a question, 213-943-3618. Hit one on your telephone keypad that lets our engineer know that you have a question. Now, we have some announcements that we must make before we get to your questions and further dialogue with Yuanse Gregory in Washington, D.C., and we'll be black after those uh, few messages about two minutes and a half. Stay tuned. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Moon 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories, and offers the well-dressed. 
dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cut shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Mold 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Don't forget to visit Mood107.com. Okay, we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Our guest online is Brother Yonce Gregory. And, uh, hey, we're talking about the title of the series is Gifted and Talented. And uh, it's not promoting the gifted and talented uh, system that is currently in, in effect in the public school system in the U.S. We're talking about a mindset that creates a program with a curriculum within any school that benefits each and every student and does not segregate the talent out of the picture. And the proof of the, the because there, there are people who say yeah, there must be talent in gifted programs. Um, imagine Malcolm X, the talent that that brother had and was not realized in a school setting. It was just laying there to be developed. Whether you look at his uh, possibility of having been a great lawyer or debater in a college or a setting, he later on became that in terms of his promotion of his his teachers' beliefs and, and program. But the point is that he is an example of the talent that went to jail before it realized it was realized into a benefit for the community. And this is what we have filling the jails and the prisons around the country, talented black individuals whom we might never know how great those minds are. And with a curriculum such as Brother Yuance has just given us a brief overview of, there is no telling what type of individuals uh, are hidden under the, the, the banner of uh, special ed and very self-conscious about that banner. Telephone number 213-943-3618. It's an ideal situation for parents and or uh, teachers, especially in principals, to ask some questions. And Brother Yuante, take it. Okay, we have a caller on the line. And uh, we only have a few minutes with Brother Yuante. Gregory, please. Your question for our guest. Yes, uh, good evening, brothers. I, I have to tell a little anecdote to get to my question. Uh, very quickly, when I was in either Stid or G-Dub in New York City, Manhattan, they did an exchange where some suburban kids, I don't remember whether it was Connecticut or up Westchester, but they visited us and we visited them. And I noticed that when we went to their school, there was just it, it was so much more modern and bright and upbeat, and there were more, not more than thirteen or fifteen kids in one class compared to the thirty something in my school. So I want him to um, talk about that aspect of education. I want him to talk about these standardized tests. Uh, Bashir and Chow, we had some guests on where uh, the parents are in such uproar 
behind, you know, this rote teaching to the test and coming up with a test where the kids hadn't even been taught this core curriculum and that that's the way they evaluate the teachers. And also the the, the type of learning, different learning um uh, different learning ways that different people, our children have, such as some are visible, some are visual, some are audio learners, some are hands-on, and the type of project learning that the News Hour had a piece on, which really motivates the kids to come together and put together a project and sometimes work with, with a, a team. And how can we, lastly, how can we spread this this type of model or paradigm because, you know, there is no future for us if if we continue with either Obama's race to the top or George Bush's uh, No Child Left Behind, which is really preparing the kids for all these wars that they're planning. And I'll listen over the air. And and say your name uh, to the point where I can write it down and spell it because I'm not quite, quite getting it right now. Okay, sir. Thank you very much. Okay, so let, let me uh, succinctly tackle that. Um, first and foremost, the, the experience you related when you had the exchange is at the core of what we're talking about when we talk about uh, equity, not so much in education, but in funding. Because let me be very clear, I am not at all advocating that we as people of color go out and recreate what someone else did for their community and, and, and do it in ours. What I'm saying is is what we do is what they did, which is to use as the driving force what is best preparing for their children to rule and lead in the type of world they want to live in. And so for us, it is not taking their model, but taking that understanding that we are using everything we know about our history, everything we know about our communities, and everything we know about our children to prepare them for that. And what that starts off with is equity uh, educational equity, because without those resources, you will notice that our schools will also have that disparate, always have that disparate treatment where you have schools in, in, in the suburbs and in, in rich white parts of this country that look like schools and that look like country clubs, and you'll have schools in our community that look like prisons. So that hasn't changed, um, and that must change. Secondly, when we talk about um, really being able to tap into all the multiple ways that our students learn. I'll use the sports analogy. I'm a sports fan. The greatest coach isn't somebody who comes in and imposes his or her will on their team. And it's not even necessarily somebody that always has the best raw talent. It is somebody who is more of a student than they are uh, a coach or a dictator in that they're learning. What are the different skills and talents each of these team members have, whether it's a basketball team and five folks, a football team, or a soccer team with 11 people, a hockey team with six people on top, what are the different skills and talents, and what can we use to make them work together in the ultimate form of synergy? And then I build my system around that. It's the same thing with the teacher. That's what a great teacher is doing. They are looking at those school, that group of students every year. They're not coming in with a set curriculum that's not changed, and that's the beautiful thing about our school and the independence we have. If I need to, I can change our curriculum every single year based on the students that we have. So where does that start with? It starts for us not on day one when the kids come into their first day of class, but immediately after they're enrolled in our school. You know what we do? We sit down for an hour, and we interview 
every single student and every single one of their parents or grandparents or cousins, whoever happens to be their caretaker, and find out what their interests are. Find out what subjects they like. Find out what things they like to read, what things they like to do, what games they like to play. Because what I have the privilege to do every year in running our school and calling our shop is I can incorporate all of those nuances into the educational platform that they're going to receive. And, again, that's what a truly great teacher does, and that's what a truly great school system does. It says, what is it that you bring to the table, and how can I help you maximize that to the highest level? And very quickly, again, my name is Johanse. That's Y-O-H-A-N-C-E. Johanse Gregory. And uh, telephone number 213-943-3618. You have mentioned several times project-based uh, uh, initiatives or competition, project-based. Uh, just take us into a classroom and show us uh, how that, what, what do we see when we go and we see something that's project-based uh, involvement of the students? Okay, perfect, perfect question, Brother Leroy. So what we first start off with is a concept. And we know that we want to impart, let's say, it's the, the basic understanding of algebra or biology. And so we start off with a concept, and we say, okay, where are some of the ways, the real practical ways in life that this will show up? And what we then do is we engage the students in that conversation, just the overall understanding of it. And we talk about issues that are relevant to themselves, issues that they can relate to. And what we then do is set out over the course of the year to define a project for that class to then work on incorporating all these different disciplines that they then will end up with a presentation that they'll have to do. So take, for example, we have one of our teachers, uh, outstanding uh, uh, a math and science teacher that uh, had spent numerous years teaching in Southern Africa, um, had worked both public and independent schools here, and actually joined us a couple of years ago um, to create her own curriculum within our schools, a STEM project learning curriculum named uh, Ms. Florentia Spires. And so let's take the sixth grade class. And so since the sixth graders are studying pre-algebra and since they're studying life sciences, what she had them do was, um, uh, I'm sorry, they're, they're, they're studying uh, earth and planetary sciences. So what she had them do was a cycling part, recycling project because we have to measure the half-lives of these materials to talk about how quickly they degrade, or, uh, uh, also what materials can be recycled. Um, and then as well, we have to incorporate the different mathematical formulas and postulates that we're using to study that. And so you'll walk into a class one day and you'll see about kids working in about six different groups, and one of those groups will be plotting out the, the, the plan for how we're going to launch our school-wide recycling initiative. Another group will be working on posters to advertise and encourage kids to engage in, in, uh, in, in recycling, and a part of that is a research component because there's going to be facts and figures about recycling. Then we have another group that's the technical specifications group that's determining what plants, recycling plants are we going to work with? Are we even going to attempt to try to recycle these materials on our own? And then finally, you've got the group that's working on the logistics. What's the time period going to be for not just the project overall, but mapping it out just like when you go into any corporation and you have project management and they're actually creating a production schedule from which
will begin to when it will culminate. Mm, beautiful. I love it. I love it. Now, now, uh, also play out for us, and in, in it's within the context of what you just laid out for us, but also play out for us hands-on. You kept saying hands-on. What's hands-on versus what? And what's the value? Hands-on. Yeah, absolutely. So we go back to what's in theory and then that which is in practice. So when we talk about hands-on, we talk about actually putting things into practice. So in a math class, that's a heavy use of what we call manipulative. It's one thing to sit down and to lecture at students and talk to them about the different mathematical laws if we're talking about geometry and we're talking about the different theorems of possible. So if we're talking about algebra and we're trying to introduce something along the lines of Pythagorean theorem and name, whereas as opposed to, sorry, algebra, if we're talking about the quadratic equation or something along that line, whereas when we're talking about putting manipulative in the hands of children and letting them practice out and find out on their own that theorem. Because, again, somebody originally created that theorem or thought of that theorem by seeing how it played out in nature. So when in teaching it, by putting it in our kids' hands, because as the other caller mentioned, many of our kids are visual learners. Many of our kids are tactile learners. There are some people, yes, who can get it by a teacher who just stands up lectures and delivers. But for most of our children and for most people, it's a much realer and longer, a lifelong lasting lesson if it is something that they've actually played out themselves. The other component, again, so we, we looked at math as actual hands-on. Otherwise, in social studies, the same thing, to kind of just study something in a book as opposed to recreating that. So those teachers that are putting on plays and having their kids step into the characters from, 16, from the 1600s or from 1,000 years ago, or from even 50 years ago. That becomes a more lifelong experience for that child because they've actually stepped into it, touched it, felt it, put it on, ate it, tasted it, smelled it, breathed it. And again, when we're in a real-life environment, we're not sitting down in a lecture situation. We are there, and we're in that project. And guess what? When we're in those, doing those project-based learnings in that small group in real life, there's going to be some failure. So failure is never discouraged. Failure is never looked down upon. And there is not a single successful product that we're using today that was the first trial of that product. And there's nothing that we're using that is a part of our life that is the alpha version of that. It's not even the beta version. It's the end of multiple years of research and development into perfecting that. And what that research and development means is that there were a whole bunch of failures prior to that. But we teach our kids that's part of the creative process. That's part of the entrepreneurial process, mm. and that's mm. actually part of the learning process. Mm. Telephone number 213-943-3618-213-943-3618. Hit one on your telephone keypad. And that alerts our engineer to the fact that you have a question. Our caller re referred to learning styles, learning styles. And um, just just play that out as to what you have seen and observed in, in terms of, of, of that, you know, how quick or the methodology that has to be used in order to um, uh, accommodate learning styles Etc. How much does that play in your education model? 
Yeah, certainly. So it, it, the, what I'll, I'll give you combines a couple of those pieces, learning styles uh, or learning modalities, as well as um, that project hands-on. Again, it goes back to your foundation. You end how you begin. So we begin with an open platform. We don't begin saying this is how you must learn. We open up the environment to study our children so they can tell us how they learn. So we're sitting back and studying them and to see what those strengths and what those what those weaknesses are. And what that allows us to do when we talk about learning stuff, it's just like in any environment. We, you know, we, we often want to take something that we either don't understand or have been trained to think of in one way and put it in a box. Now, right now, if we were to say who are the, the, the five best track and field or 100-meter runners that have ever uh, run in the Olympics, we'll see that each of them may have a different style. When we look at the NBA. Kobe's style is different from LeBron's style, is different from Michael Jordan's style, but they were all championship award-winning styles. So why should we, if we look at great artists, there are all different types of artists that have all different types of nuance. So why should we think when it comes to how people learn and how people express knowledge, because that's the other part when we talk about testing, it's learning and then how do we express, convey what we know. Why is it that we would think that this is the one area in life that we're all going to be doing the same way, the exact same way? It makes no sense. So what it is is that by when you create that open source platform, it allows you to study those individuals and then build on their strengths. And we also see that with the special needs situation because our kids don't fit into the box of that one learning style that the system deems they must, where immediately the system immediately says, there must be something wrong with you, and in fact, there must be something clinically wrong with you. Not only do we have to correct, but in most cases, we're going to have to medicate. So there's an interesting fact about MS squared that I love to share with folks. Because they'll pull up our demographics, and a lot of people say, oh, let me, this MS squared, all these great results. There must be something they're doing that's just not quite kosher. And they'll look at a number and they'll say, aha, look at this. This special education population, they don't have any special education kids. They only have about 8% of their kids with special education, whereas in the District of Columbia, over 30% of the kids mm. in the District of Columbia are special Now, I love when they ask that question because they think they're setting me up. But what I asked them to do is dig deeper, and I say, look at the number of special ed kids in our school in the sixth grade when they enter, and look at that number in the eighth grade when they leave. And what you find, Brother Leroy, is that over 85% of the children that come to us being the special education are, in fact, mainstream by the time they leave our school. And that speaks on two levels. One, most of them were identified as needing those special interventions uh, and, and being special needs incorrectly in the first place because they saw a young black man or saw a young black woman or saw a young black, Latino man, a young Latino woman, and said, aha, they have a learning disability. Or it's the first time they've been in a school with teachers and administrators who actually believe that they are brilliant and are damn committed to making sure to help them expose that intelligence. So a perfect example was a young man that joined us a couple of years ago in the sixth grade who literally, not only was he a special education student, he was literally functionally illiterate. He operated on a kindergarten reading level as 11 years old, sixth grade. And, six, and this goes back to us opening our curriculum so that every child has access to that rigorous and advanced um, hands-on project learning environment. And after his first quarter, he joined 
the solar car team. Now, what is the solar car team? Because our solar car team is a truly a class in mechanical engineering taught by two outstanding brothers, graduate students in the engineering department here at Howard, that not only teach the children the basics of mechanical engineering, but actually teach and guide them in creating their own solar-powered remote control car hmm. that they then enter into competition. This child hmm. entered the solar car competition as a quote-unquote special education student who could not read. And hmm. by the time he left our school, not only was he no longer special education, not only was he an honor roll student, not only is he currently at one of the four magnet high schools in Washington, D.C., but on his way to doing that, he competed in the national finals of the Sprint Junior Solar Car Competition three mm. years in a row. Go ahead. Mm. I love it. I'm always, it was very hard for me, <clears throat> pardon me, growing up in the, um, in a Christian environment, and I'm not labeling it, but I'm just, preparing to set people for a visual, there's this picture of Jesus with the lamb in his arm. He had left the 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 the, uh, the flock to go after this 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 lamb or this sheep that had gotten lost. And I was always saying, why is he doing that? And the wolves could get the you know, the herd. And in my <laughs> evolving into maturity, that Sheep, that lamb, I see, based on my experience, are the rejected and despised, the individuals who are in the gutter, cast away. And that child is, that reminds me of that visual of coming into an environment where he's, he's saved, he goes to the front. And, and you just have, as you said, 85% of the ones who come into special ed, when they leave, uh, the school in the eighth grade, they eighty five percent are no longer in that in that uh, designated category of special ed. They're special persons. It is a fantastic job. Telephone number. We only have a few more minutes, ladies. With brother Johanse Gregory, two one three nine four three three six one eight. This hands on. Uh, I know a sister here in New York who does a gardening program in her school. It's very innovative. She she works with the young children up to the eighth grade, and um, what she's been able to do is not only teach them gardening, but it's combined with an entrepreneurial program where they make incense and soap from the from some of the herbs essences mm-hmm. that are grown in the in the garden, and they have won entrepreneurial. Um, uh, contests, you know, sponsored by various banks and other entities. And I see that as as hands-on, that it's just one class that she gives, but I'm, I'm looking at it, uh, I'm not the educator in the school, but I'm looking at what she's doing that if other classes within the school, whether it's uh, wherever it is, they could tie right into that hands-on experience that's being gained in that in that particular class. Uh, I'm just I'm just bouncing that off of you uh, because you know you already see, you guys whatever you see that works you work with it. No, absolutely, absolutely, and that is so critical within the science background. When we talk about that hands-on. When you mentioned the gardening, because 
really when we look at science, when we look at everything, whether they be the theories or the scientific laws that the study of our science is based on, it all comes down to one thing, observation. Any scientific theory or scientific law started off with somebody somewhere sitting and observing. That's what the true research is. That person who's in the field doing that field research, they're mm-hmm. sitting there looking at something, sparking their interest and in asking questions, and have had some studies. And so mm-hmm. when we look at astronomy, that started off from our ancestors thousands of years ago because they did not have an Xbox and they didn't have a television and they did not have a phone to distract them. Sitting back, laying down and looking up and gazing at the heavens, and wondering, and wondering, and night after night, and then after wondering, they would then document those thoughts they were wondering about. And they would, from those documentations, after looking at one over the other over years of this, they would recognize certain things. The same way our, our, our great ancestors, um, like Imhotep, would be there in his garden. That's why you know, it sparked my thought when you said garden because they're sitting there and they're looking at the process of the, the life science of the planet, of how things come into existence, and they're wondering, and they're observing, and they're documenting. And so for us, when we remove that from the schools, when we remove that process from the schools, we, we, we basically eliminated science from the schools because that's what true science is. Right mm. now, any person who has their Ph.D. in one of the scientific fields, they didn't just sit down in the library and read books. They right. had to get their hands dirty by being what? Hands-on, touching, right. feeling, looking, and observing, and documenting, and then theorizing based on all of those, those elements and components. That's Beautiful. what science is. You know, our kids, even before, back in slavery, when we weren't in a formal classroom, we were in a classroom. By that grandchild looking at their grandmother, grandfather, and looking how they had that genius that they brought across the Atlantic with them through the horrible middle passage and taught the, their slave masters crop rotation. <laughs> that was the science lesson that they were not only the child was getting, but the slave, the slave master was getting over here as well. That's how we imparted science uh, to our people. So, again, when we remove those things, when we take our kids out of their grandmother's garden, when we take them out of their father's uh, or their grandfather's uh, uh, work shed, we take science out of their education. Wow. Telephone number 213-943-3618. We're about to conclude. Brother Yohansi, of course, you, regardless of your background, I'm not going to deal with that now. But you come in to this project with other concerned individuals in Washington, D.C. You set up the charter school, and uh, there are things that you come knowing. What are some of the things that you have learned after the eight years of being involved with this, this school at Howard University? You know, most importantly, the thing that has stuck out with me is there's a two part. One, it's the perseverance of our children and more so the thirst for education and the desire to maximize their greatness of our children. So I mentioned to you the child who came to us 
reading um, on a kindergarten level of sixth grade. Now, mind you, at that point, at 11 years old, he's had already had six years of formal education, and this is what the system has delivered to him. And he's not the only one. Again, I told you, two-thirds of our kids come to us performing below grade level. So after being treated criminally, being thrown aside by a system that claims to be for their betterment and their education and actually claims and uses our money, our public dollars to do this, for them to be so disrespected and yet still, still have a passion for learning, still be open to a system that shows that it's open to them is absolutely mind-boggling to me. The things, and as incredible as our school is and as incredible as our teachers are, there are times literally where I just, I myself, as the executive director who's traveling around, raising funds, getting partnership deals together, putting projects in place, when I need a pick-me-up, I just go into one of our classrooms and I quietly mm. sit in the back. And mm. I watch the brilliance of these young minds. <laughs> Sixth grade this year, here a girl whose family are immigrants, from Central America, neither parent speaks a word of English. She herself was being special education at ELL, all kind of proclaimed learning disabilities. And within less than two months in our school, I'm sitting here listening to her name every single country in the world. Mm. Every single country in the world. Mm. It's mm. absolutely mm. amazing. Absolutely mm. amazing. Beautiful. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is just a taste of what's going on at that school. There are other schools around the country that are doing exceptional work within what is called the inner city, and we intend to showcase those schools, those educators, so that we can know what is presented to us in the daily papers and daily media as impossible, that it's a lot of stuff, that the possible is very possible with concerned administrators. We're going to end this interview, my brother. Uh, tell us uh, two stories that your dad related to me, if he related them correctly. Ladies and gentlemen, Brother Yohansei's dad is our brother Dick Gregory, and Yohansei is one of his children, of course. Yohansei, tell us about the young boy who introduced uh, Arnie Duncan at your school and what happened after that. And tell us about the young sister who flew in this high supersonic plane, if I have that story correct. Just share with us those two stories of children coming out of your school. Sure, certainly, certainly. So we were, uh, a number of years back, we had the occasion to have Arnie Duncan visit the school and, and visit and take a look. And, and, and during that time, um, he, like so many other folks, were, were amazed at what our kids were doing. And a couple months passed by, and one of the students that he met, a uh, young boy who's now uh, doing outstanding work as an 11th grader in high school, we get a call uh, asking to speak with, uh, contact his family, and we were told that it was the White House trying to contact him. And, of course, it was a little bit skeptical at first, uh, but come to find out that Arnie Duncan was so impressed by what he saw when he visited that word got back, and this young man was asked to introduce President Obama for a major educational address that he delivered to the nation. And then 
for our other student, this was a, a young lady who a couple of years ago came to us as a struggling student, um, and after her three years with us, did such incredible turnaround that she can, uh, competed and won a um, mid-Atlantic regional competition against kids from some of the highest performing schools in the area, and one of the most improved student, and with that, it was with a space exploration company called Space Adventures. She actually won a trip on a zero-gravity flight. Um, this is something that they actually use, that NASA uses to train its astronauts when they're preparing to go to outer space. And the most beautiful part about it is here she is getting an experience of a lifetime, so she's on this specially made Boeing 747 flying at an altitude tens of thousands of feet above where commercial flight is able to travel at, um, got her own flight suit and all of this, and she just did outstanding. And, and it, when she got down, the, the, the folks at SpaceX said, wow, you're such a pro, I, you know, when did you start flying? And she said, that was my first flight, the first time she had ever been mm -hmm. in an airplane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Beautiful. This is fantastic. Naturally, naturally, Johan said we're going to have you black up in here. There are more stories. Every student that goes here still to that school is a story. We want to thank you for your time. And, uh, uh, Engineer, do we have a call on the line or what? Okay. All right. Good enough. Brother Yohansei, we want to thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing. And the next time that you're on, you will share with us the many people who have come through the school, and not, not by name, those situations where they've come through the school to see what you folks are doing right. How come you're able to educate these people who others could not educate and they're turning out to be great and fantastic individuals? Dehante, thank you once again. May God continue to bless you and your family and your mom and your dad. And your siblings, my brother. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, brother Leroy. Always a pleasure. Anytime. All right, see. Anytime you call, I will be there to answer. Yes, sir. Thank you, my brother. Ladies and gentlemen, we want to thank you all for tuning in and advise you, advise you to uh, to alert people to the to this program, which is archived. You go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash the keys one oh seven and look for the communicators with Brother Leroy and this date, April 27. And they can listen and learn and move forward with our children from there. God bless you all. Thank you all. And the engineering, uh, Brother James, Sister Rafika, Brother Elijah, Brother Forrest, Brother Jason, everyone who makes this program possible May God bless each and every one of our people in this people, each and every one of our audience, uh, with a blessed evening and a fantastic week. Peace. The Keys is proud to announce the Communicators, airing Saturdays at 7 p.m. with your host. Brother Leroy, broadcasting from the heart of Harlem, USA.